Hey, happy new year everybody and welcome to the 2019 season of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 15. Remember that if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. Or send them on Facebook. You can find the Facebook Messenger widget on my website, scientifictriathlon.com. Before we get into today's questions, a big thank you to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. They make the world's quietest indoor bike trainers. And their newest model, the Smart Trainer Model Halcyon, won the 2018 Euro Bike Award for Best Bike Training Accessory in some very stiff competition from not only all the other new bike trainers of the year, but also a ton of other accessories outside of the bike trainer category. You can get 20% off your Stack Zero trainer with the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. So check them out on stackzero.com. And a warm, warm welcome to a new sponsor to that Triathlon Show, and that is Retool. Retool is a bike fitting experience and bike fitting system that makes riding more enjoyable by making you more efficient and reducing the chance of injury and increasing your comfort on the bike. And I have personally used Retool bike fits on both of the bikes that I currently race on. It's been absolutely fantastic. For example, I won my age group in Ironman 70.3 Qashqai's on a road bike. Uh, and uh, I managed to do that probably in large part due to the fact that the bike fit that I had on that road bike was so excellent that even though I was of course at a disadvantage compared to having a triathlon bike uh, but it wasn't a big enough disadvantage because uh, my bike fit on that road bike was uh, so exceptionally good that I managed to be pretty aerodynamic anyway and also produce a lot of power and staying comfortable for the entire race. Learn more and uh, find your nearest retool retailer on retool.com forward slash TTS. The first question for today is from Rickard from Sweden. He wrote in the comment section of episode 158, the time system, effective and intelligent winter training with Rob Wilby, and uh, asked for some opinions and uh, clarifications on uh, my take on, on that specific interview. So Rickard writes... This was a very interesting episode that raises a lot of questions for me. Uh, One, what's your take about that the body can only handle a couple of high-intensity workouts per week over all disciplines, and that the high-intensity workouts in, for example, biking will also, quote-unquote, spill over to the running, etc.? I was under the impression that especially threshold training is very sport-specific. I have also believed that you should aim for at least two high-intensity sessions per discipline and week. But come to think about it, it often surprises me how few high-intensity sessions many of your guests recommend and practice for themselves. Uh, for themselves. So I will answer this part first, then there are some other parts to this question. And my answer here is that it really is extremely individual. And I don't think that you there is no one single formula, no one single training plan that works uh, optimally for every single athlete, which is, uh, w- which is why coaching is so important for athletes that really want to get the most out of their training. Uh, some athletes can handle a lot of intensity and uh, they can do a lot of intense swimming, for example, without that intensity negatively impacting 
the ability to absorb run or bike training uh, but for some they can handle a much smaller amount of total intensity and uh, intensity in one discipline definitely has a direct impact on how much intensity you can do in the other workouts for example uh, three to four really hard swim workouts per week means less room to do a lot of intensity on the bike or run and uh, so yeah there are like tons of different variations in what kind of athlete you might be and that's what you need to find out for yourself or you and your coach need to find it out Uh, i think a lot of the time it comes down to how much of a base you've built up and i'm not talking about a 12 week base period i'm talking about an endurance base that you've built up over years and years of training that the way i see it is the most important the most important factor when it comes to how much intensity you can handle If you have been training consistently for, let's say, 10 hours per week for the last four or five years or more, then you're much more likely to be able to handle a lot of intensity than somebody who is newer to the sport. And uh, and this is really regardless of uh, your age or your gender, for example. A lot of older athletes, they... Uh, when when i get questions i notice that a lot of older athletes assume that they can only do a very small amount of intensity but i don't think that this is uh, true at all it it really is it depends a lot there are a lot of older athletes that have a great base of endurance and they can do a lot of intensity a lot more than uh, a 25 year old that is in their first couple of years of training because they have that strong base to be able to absorb a lot more training as for the crossover effects uh, between disciplines both in terms of negative and positive positive uh, effects uh, they are there for sure and uh, and definitely i think that you always have to you always have to assume that uh, an intense bike ride or run or even a swim is going to have an impact on uh, on your upcoming workouts and, and it's all you can't you, you, that's why you can't do a run training program and a bike training program and a swim training program and just add them together and that becomes a triathlon training program nope that's not that's not the way it works unfortunately even if you took three low volume programs and you were theoretically able to handle the volume of the total combined program it just wouldn't work so you have to consider that in terms of a uh, they, there will be an effect of the intense workouts that you do on the other disciplines for sure but um but you have to basically just balance it out uh, effectively so that you can still do intensity in uh, in all disciplines and how much that is that again comes down to how much you can handle and how much you can tolerate i don't think you you cannot say that that two hard workouts per discipline per week is the ideal there is no such thing as an ideal for some there will be too little for some there will be too much and of course it also depends on how much your total training volume is i I do agree that in general for most athletes if they are training uh, at a volume of let's say 11 12 or more hours per week then typically there would be room for two hard workouts per discipline per week but uh, but a lot of athletes don't train that much and then there's less room for intensity because you also need to have a lot of uh, of low intensity training in your program so uh, i'm i think i'm rambling a little bit but uh, uh, yeah um i i do think that that mostly answers your question oh as for the positive crossover effects between disciplines like for example in this particular case with this interview uh, rob talked about the the threshold training a lot of threshold training on the bike spilling or positively impacting the run as well uh, i 
I mean, for sure, it does to some some extent. Uh, I, I do think, however, my, my personal opinion is that uh, I think that, and, and there is some science as well to, to back this up, that between between cycling and running there is some crossover, but it's it's not very strong. I, I do think that at higher intensities, specificity plays a big role, as you say, you, when you mentioned that threshold training and, and harder, that uh, that really is, uh, requires specificity. So you need to do that in the discipline that you want to improve. So so yeah, my personal opinion is, uh, yeah, I, I would not personally add just hard bike uh, training and, and then hope that that carries over to the run. But then again, like a lot of athletes seem to, have some success with that so so who am i to say that it's it's not working again it comes down to the individual as as it usually does but but i would say that my starting point would not be to to use that sort of of method i i would definitely want to have uh, some intensity in every single discipline and uh, and as for the the other thing that you comment uh, that uh, what my guests seem to recommend when you write that uh, come to think of it uh, it often surprises me how few high intensity sessions many of your guests recommend uh, i i don't think that that's uh, actually necessarily true i think it really is across the board in some interviews you hear people that uh, are fall on the high volume and uh, lower intensity side of things and then you have the complete opposite i i can point to a couple of of episodes where where that was true true like mike ritchie for example uh, he gave us some example training weeks that were very high intensity and designed for the time crunched age age grouper really so so i think and that's just one example i think it's across the board and that, that is probably because because different guests that i interview they coach different types of athletes and it is individual so they have found what works for the athletes that they seem to coach so the second part of the question that uh, ricard has is uh, Another different question regarding threshold or zone 4 training. How will just doing zone 4 work on the high-intensity ses- sessions in a block and no zone 5 or VO2 max training, how will that work out with respect to residual effects? Or could you say that zone 4 and zone 5 will trigger the same systems? So this is an interesting question. And uh, my answer to this is that intensity is a it's a continuum and uh, so therefore uh, they will trigger the same systems but zone 5 will trigger a larger response on the vo2 side on the vo2 max side of things and therefore it will be more beneficial in improving your vo2 max that said zone 4 can training can also improve vo2 max there are plenty of studies to back that up uh I don't think that in general it is as effective as zone five training for that. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, it is probably it is more effective than zone five in most cases uh, to uh, to improve your your lactate threshold, your LT two or your anaerobic threshold, whatever you want to call it, uh, because you you're working around that lactate steady state rather than uh, at uh, at a place where lactate is accumulating, which you are doing in zone five. So. So they, they will both have positive effects on both of those systems. Zone 5 will also help. Uh, it can help increase your anaerobic threshold, uh, but probably, as I said, not quite as effectively as Zone 4 training because then you can accumulate more time at that lactate steady state. I, I think that in terms of how Zone 4 training, threshold training can improve VO2 max, 
it is probably going to be quite effective for untrained individuals but uh, for and for just slightly less well-trained athletes but for very well-trained athletes i think that uh, it becomes more difficult to improve vo2 max so then you really need to actually train at that intense intensity level to give back have the best possibility or best uh, uh, best likelihood of improving your vo2 max so so that's sort of my my take on it as for the residual effects that you ask about so uh, what you mean here i know based on our discussion in those in that comment section is uh, is how far you, how fast you detrain for example like how fast your vo2 max decline if you don't do any vo2 max training and this is uh, just my personal opinion uh, and art more than science i think but but uh, my opinion is that you you have to have the courage to let some systems go a bit during some periods of the season and uh, even if it means a slight uh, decay in for example vo2 max otherwise if you don't do that you might uh, theoretically end up in a situation where you have to do every single type of training session there is within maybe not a one week period but at least within a two week period if you want to always make sure that you never have any residual effect of of a, a decrease in some particular uh, energy system so so i think that you should you have to have the courage to let uh, zone 5 training go in some uh, some periods of the season for sure and i think that you can still maintain almost all of it probably and if you are a less advanced athlete then you can definitely maintain all of it for the more advanced athletes I think that, uh, as I said, even though zone four training might not for those athletes be enough to to trigger an improvement in VO2 max, it might be enough to to make sure that you maintain whatever VO2 max level you have. And at the same rate, for athletes that are doing some sort of reverse periodization where they are doing high intensity training early in the season, and then they start to add more volume but uh, reduce the amount of intensity and the level of the intensity. Uh, that works out well as well because as you may know uh, one of the biggest factors behind uh, high vo2 max is your total training volume and that includes all training including long slow distance and uh, just uh, aerobic endurance zone 2 training so if you are at the start of the season you are working at a lower training volume and doing those vo2 max workouts and you get that up to a certain level then you reduce the intensity of those workouts but at the same time you start to increase your total training volume then that training volume too can work as maintenance in addition to probably some other hard workouts that you do even though they are not zone 5 workouts so i hope that that makes sense for answering the second question and uh, your third and final question is for some reason i'm under the impression that you shouldn't mix zone 5 and zone 4 training in a given training week or training block that they in a way will cancel each other out a little bit or is this totally wrong i'm thinking of the block periodization episode you did uh, so that's uh, not uh, that's not the case and uh, you mentioned it as well in the question uh, a bit later on uh, that uh, it's the, the things that you should be careful about and that you need to practice some careful consideration when mixing them is aerobic training and anaerobic training and uh, anaerobic tra- zone 5 training is still highly aerobic training anaerobic is when you go above that when you go past your vo2 max you go to zone 6 zone 7 so really those uh, all out one minute to to and and lower sort of intervals uh, even 30 seconds or or 10 seconds if we go to the sprint side of things 
So, so when you do that, when you if you want to improve your anaerobic capacity, uh, or you want to improve your sprint power, for example, so zone six, zone seven type of work, then you need to to carefully consider what sort of aerobic training you're doing uh, otherwise you won't be making those improvements in the anaerobic and sprint systems that you may want to do uh, that said for most athletes i see very little reason to do uh, a significant amount of anaerobic or sprint training uh, i think you should do neuromuscular training in, ter- in uh, terms of strides for example as uh, at the end of an easy endurance run but it's i see it's more as with neuromuscular priming and and also technique it's not really to work on your sprint speed or anything like that so uh, so that's the way i see thing, things and uh you know as you if you when you asked about zone five and zone four if they uh, have sort of cancellation effects then no that's not the case at all they they are both uh, highly aerobic types of training so uh so you can definitely include both of them Of course, as an individual athlete, you just need to make sure that you can still manage the load of having both zone 4 and zone 5 workouts and uh, and being able to get the positive adaptations from that type of training if you if you are to include both of them in uh, in a given training week or training block. All right, so I hope that answers your question, uh, Ricard. The next question is from Lawrence Webb who is uh, based in Hong Kong. Uh, Lawrence writes, uh, I'm a 60-year-old self-coached triathlete. Uh, I only started triathlon training two years ago and completed my first 7.3 in Whistler, Canada last July in just over six hours. One of the issues that I've had with uh, some of uh, the podcast interviews is that I sense they're mostly applicable to Northern Hemisphere slash cold climate athletes. Uh, For example, I find I can hardly ever undertake zone 2 Uh, heart rate training which is often recommended currently in hong kong the temperature is lovely at low to mid 20s with a humidity at 65 to 85 percent but for much of the year it's uh, 30 plus celsius with a humidity of uh, 85 to 95 percent as soon as i start training my heart rate increases to above zone 2 i have figured that this is in large part temperature and humidity related the episode with andrew buckroll supports my view Uh, But even this episode is mostly focused on giving tips to cold climate athletes on how to acclimatize to hot or humid weather. I think it would be really useful to do an episode on how to train regularly in hot and humid conditions. Should training programs be adapted and if so, how? For example, at the moment I just ignore the zone 2 and accept that my training will be at least zone 3. But is that sensible? What else can I do? On the upside, last July in Whistler 7.3, I... It was held in hot conditions for most triathletes, but for me it was perfect. It did not seem hot, uh, as it was not humid. Uh, that is the benefit of my living and training in a hot or humid climate. But I do wonder if my training is less effective than it would be if I undertook the same training in a cooler climate. This seems to be what some of your guests have implied, but I have not heard a specific episode on this topic or suggestions as to how to mitigate this, if there are any. So this is a great question, and... Uh, a couple of things that I want to, to address here is first, with you not being able to stay in your zone 2 heart rate and just ignoring it completely, uh, I wonder how you established your heart rate zones. I, I think that uh, what you want to do there is you want to, to re-establish them and you want to do it in the environment that you're going to be training in. So in that hot and humid 
humid climate and, and not indoors if you're going to be training outdoors in in that sort of temperature and that sort of humidity then do a field test outdoors and set your heart rate zones based on that field test and if you do that then i don't think that you should have this problem of not being able to stay in, in zone two and i would definitely not not ignore it and accept that you always have to be in zone three uh, so the, the couple of reasons that I can see that maybe why you are not able to stay in zone two at the moment is if you did, if you have actually gone to a lab, a cool lab and uh, done lab tests, then uh, those heart rate zones are definitely not going to work for you outdoors. That's uh, that's absolutely clear. And the same thing really if you have done them indoors in a gym or or in at home on a treadmill or on on a treadmill a trainer bike trainer then uh, that can be an issue as well if you're going to be then be training outdoors so so do those field tests outdoors and reset your zones and uh, with the heat and humidity accounted for since you actually did the field tests in those conditions and for the the comment or the question on whether your training is less effective in a hot and humid environment compared to cold climates uh, i would say that Yes, if you always train outdoors, it is because it is going to limit the uh, the capacity you have to to produce a high output, to produce high powers, whether it's on the bike or on the run, and uh, you're always going to be limited by that. So my recommendation is to do some or actually probably most of your hard training sessions uh, indoors with great cooling and uh, great fans. Uh, so. You mentioned that you are a trainer road user, so you seem to be doing that already on the bike. So just make sure that you have a, a good setup with good fans as well to keep you cool. Uh, consider also starting to do a lot of your hard running. So it, it might be just one session per week, but your your big quality run session every week. Do that indoors on the treadmill in a good cool gym with a fan or really good... Uh, really good air conditioning so so that you you get some of that airflow as well to to keep you cool in in that environment so and and by the way for these harder sessions when you do them indoors you should not use your heart rate uh, to guide these sessions uh, of course one of the reasons is that uh, they are done indoors so it, your field tests that you did outdoors they won't apply but uh, regardless of that i wouldn't even if you did the field tests indoors uh, for these hard sessions you should be using power pace or rpe to because that's better than than heart rate when you are going at, at high intensities and trying to hit high outputs in my opinion uh, heart rate can have a it can be beneficial up to threshold but even at threshold i think it's it gets difficult but up to sweet spot intensity on the bike as or high zone free on the run for example heart rate works really well uh, but beyond that it uh, becomes uh, less reliable so so i would definitely prefer that you use power pace or rpe in these indoor indoor training sessions hope this answers some of your questions and uh, we'll see i i don't know off the top of my head anybody who would be really good for talking about uh, the topic you suggest with uh, training in hot and humid environments and whether that's more or less effective and how to contract that but i'll definitely keep that in mind and see if i can find somebody so thank you for your question your suggestion and the final question for today is from uh, bart poly from belgium who writes uh, this year i participated in the swissman extreme triathlon the fact that it's an extreme triathlon as well as the fact that this is my first year as a self-coached athlete 
I used to have a coach before. Uh, so these two things made it uh, pretty tough for me to do the right thing. Uh, so I had uh, some issues in the race and uh, that's uh, what my questions are about. So the first question is that uh, my best time for a flat full distance Ironman was 11 hours. My expectation for the Swissman was around 17 hours. How can you take into account this difference of six hours in duration, uh, apart from the fact that uh, conditions are also more extreme? The duration of the bike is uh, longer and uh, the duration of the run is much longer. How can you be prepared for this and uh, how is, this di- is it different from a classic uh, full-distance Ironman triathlon? Uh, so I'll answer this uh, part first and then move on to the next part. So with... What I see, I'm I'm not an expert. I I haven't coached anybody uh, for an extreme triathlon or an ultra triathlon like this. So so I'm definitely not an expert. Uh, just be aware of that. But uh, I do follow, of course, what other coaches, what coaches that specialize in in this uh, realm of triathlon are doing, and what athletes are doing. And from what I've seen, most successful ultra endurance triathletes, so beyond Ironman, uh, like Ultraman and the likes, and the Swissman and uh, and Norseman and those sorts of races they seem to train fairly similar to what they would do for an Ironman and uh, bear in mind that a lot of them are also doing Ironmans and so they have that comparison point so if for example five to six hours is the longest that they would uh, train on the bike for an Ironman that doesn't really change much when these the best athletes and coaches when when they plan for training for the Swissman for example and a simple reason for this is that you can't just add more and more training and expect to adapt positively to it. Uh, I guess you can add more and more training and you can see when you stop adapting positively to it. But you need to be very disciplined about uh, about that and, and be quite smart and sensible and know your body very, very well. But uh, the fact of the matter is that Ironman training is hard enough as it is and there's uh, a lot of training that goes into it. Uh, really enough of training as it is so if you follow a good Ironman training program you're already building a massive base of endurance and a massive base of endurance that's what you want for an event like the Swiss man as well Uh, so so it really isn't that different there are some things that for sure that you need to make sure that you have in your program and uh, but these things I think that all of these things are things that you should have in a good Ironman program as well so the first thing that I would say is uh, a big day. Uh, but uh, so this is, for example, when you go out and and swim the Ironman distance, and then you go out and bike for five or six hours, and then you go out and run. The run can really vary depending on the individual. For some, I might only give a one-hour run, but for some, it might be a two-hour run of that uh, full distance swim, and then a six-hour bike or five-hour bike. So. Essentially, you will be out there for for at least seven hours, but in some cases eight hours in uh, in a in a day of training, and uh, you don't have to do that back to back to back. You can have, for example, breakfast between the swim and uh, and the bike, but you do that all in a day. Uh, so so that's something that I think that you should have. And then the second thing is, of course, as much as possible, trying to simulate race conditions. Uh, and in your training so doing your long bikes and your runs and brick brick runs and brick rides on hilly courses which you say in your second question that we'll get to later that you did uh, so that's perfect um, not much more to add to that 
And uh, the third thing is nutrition, uh, both practicing race nutrition, make sure that you teach your gut to tolerate consuming a large amount of energy and see that as uh, as important a part of your training as the physical training, because you will want to consume uh, a large amount of energy on race day. But you'll also want to make sure that you can burn fat and oxidize fat effectively. So, uh, so adding uh, one to two glycogen depleted sessions per week is uh, what how you can how you can do that, and you can do that either as fasted workouts, like going out for a run or a ride in the morning without having breakfast before, or you can do a depleted workout where you do where you first train in the morning, and usually it might be a more of a high intensity workout. And then you don't, uh, you eat very low carbohydrate meals in between that workout and then the second workout that you'll do in the afternoon, which is just a, an endurance workout, but you'll do that in a glycogen depleted state because you did not replace uh, the glycogen that you lost in that first hard workout in the morning. Uh, and then uh, the next thing on the list that your program should include is strength endurance or muscular endurance. So doing low cadence work on the bike, uh, hill reps and uh, on the run especially hill hill running different sorts of hill running and on the swim using paddles uh, the reason for for this is one of the main reasons is to uh, to give your fast twitch 2a type muscle fibers more endurance like capabilities so that you can last longer in any race even a flat race but especially an extreme race like the swissman with a lot of hills you will be using a lot of fast twitch fibers because some of those hills will require a lot of force and then you want those fast twitch fibers to also have a little bit more endurance than they might otherwise have but as i said these are all things that i think a good ironman program already should have so i do not think that you need to do much uh, differently in training just make absolutely sure that you you cover all of these bases and uh, and that is that is really it in terms of training uh, then uh, so let's get to your second uh, problem or a second question uh, and uh, bart writes a specific problem i had during the race when starting the run i still felt fresh and okay to make the first 20k in a good way but it didn't go as well as i hoped it would I had trouble dealing with the variation in uphill and downhill, even though I did this a lot in my training. So in a way, my body was not ready or not adapted enough to run uphill after a long bike and swim. How can you prepare yourself for this particular situation? So my my answer here is that I'm almost 100% certain that this is not a particular problem. This is... uh, this is either a pacing uh, or nutritional issue. It's not something that you could have done differently in training, uh, because it's all about like if if you have the fitness and uh, and you pace well, and you don't have any energy issues, so you don't run out of energy, then it doesn't matter if it's uphill after a long swim or bike, or if it's flat, or if it's whatever it is. Like you're going at the fitness level that you can sustain and you have a pace plan plan and you follow it and you have the energy available to execute that plan so so i think that 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 is really what what i think here as well i mentioned in the first part of the question that i don't think that the training is much different if if any different than ironman training the big difference is your pacing plan and uh, and that's uh, that's definitely where you want to be spending a lot of time and also trying to practice that in some uh, some simulation sessions uh, you might do like back-to-back long days not necessarily big days as big as i described earlier but 
but pretty decent chunky uh, chunky workouts where you try to to go for example uh, after a hard saturday with a lot of training you do a sunday brick ride and run with uh, with a lot of time at race intensity to just tune into what might be a realistic race pace and power for you so i think i think you probably paced incorrectly or you might have run out of energy depending on how much you fueled uh, because you make no mistake you will need to take on energy and you need to be super diligent about that so having that uh, that race uh, fueling plan as well and hydration for that matter i i should uh, probably lump the two of them together it could be nutrition or an hydration issue as well uh, so uh, so consider those options but i do not think that it's anything that you could have done in training and i don't think it's the particular nature of the issue that you mentioned it's not the variation of uphill and downhill uh, necessarily that that caused these problems that's just it makes it manifest itself perhaps a bit uh, a bit more clearly but that's uh, that's not the root cause of the issue so i hope that helps i'll link in the episode description to uh, some episodes that i mentioned so for the first question we had episode 158 the time system effective and intelligent winter training with rob Wilby. Uh, in the second question we had uh, the connection with uh, the interview with andrew that I did recently which was episode 160 called heat humidity wind and slush drinks cool down your body to go harder for longer with andrew buckrell and then also one thing that i forgot to mention I linked to a great article by Dr. Andy Coggan uh, when I answered to Ricard's comments on uh, as it relates to the first question with uh, with doing different what well, the zone four and the zone five intensities and and how they might uh, have crossover effects or not. So there is a great article by Andy Coggan that describes the physiological adaptations that all the different training zones from zone one to zone seven uh, are expected to to elicit so so i'll link to that article as well in the show notes a uh, quick note uh, as well a uh, housekeeping item my ironman 7.3 intermediate training plan uh, 16 weeks long is now available on scientifictriathlon.com as well as on training peaks so as you know if you have been following the podcast it was released for training peaks uh, a month and a half ago or so and for those of you who purchased the Training Peaks version of the plan, you should have received an email uh, with uh, the link to download the PDF version if you want that as well. If you didn't, just email me if you want the PDF version and I'll send that to you. It's uh, included in the Training Peaks purchase. And uh, and if you are not a Training Peaks user, this is a great opportunity now to get a really, really good 70.3 plan, if I may say so myself, for your 2019 goal races of course uh, as uh, we talked about many times on the podcast there's no replacement for having a coach but not everybody is able to invest in a coach i understand that Uh, but getting a training plan that uh, gets you uh, quite far in terms of giving you structure and accountability so definitely a great option if you if you're not able to invest in coaching one more thing house cleaning item or a shout out uh, if you will uh, i have been selected to become an hrv for training brand ambassador for 2019 so uh, great great to be part of hrv for training it's an app that i've been using for 
a year and a half or maybe even two years by now and i really really love it uh, and of course as you know i interviewed marco altini uh, in a previous episode that i'll also link to in the episode description so what this brand ambassadorship means is really nothing more than that uh, i'll talk from time to time to time about hrv for training how i use it in my own athletic career and in my coaching as well because i do use it with some athletes that i coach uh, and uh, yeah uh, that's that's it basically and if you are interested in hrv for training i highly recommend that you check it out it's uh, less than 10 euros to buy the app and it's not a subscription it's a one-time fee so it's really nothing and uh, a fantastic app really so check that out and also go and listen to that interview with with uh, marco altini uh, so again, thank you to the team at HRV for training for selecting me as a brand ambassador for 2019. Big thanks to Stack for sponsoring this episode. You can find them on stackzero.com and you can get 20% off your Stack Zero bike trainer, whichever model you may like, uh, the base, the power meter or the Halcyon smart trainer. Uh, get 20% off with the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. And big thanks to Retool. Check them out on retool.com forward slash TTS. That's as in that triathlon show. On that page, you can learn everything about the Retool bike fit process and why it's unique in the bike fit industry. And you can find your nearest authorized Retool bike fit retailer. So again, that's retool.com forward slash TTS, where Retool is spelled R E t-u-l thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon